Welcome back to Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff. Today we have a really special episode that is Chris interviewing two of his friends that we've had on the podcast, both Jason Elam and Derek Myers. And it's just the three of them talking intimately about deconstructing and parenting. And so Chris, tell us a little bit about like where, how this conversation came about and what you were hoping to get out of it and where you landed. Yeah, it was, um, it was a really great conversation that we had. And, and I just started thinking over the summer that, you know, that being a parent is not an easy thing and, you know, under normal circumstances. And then when you're also deconstructing your faith and changing beliefs, which seem to maybe happen on a daily basis sometimes, um, how do you how do you be a parent, a good parent, and teach your child about um, about the faith that you may not even believe in anymore, and or that or you know that you have certain aspects of it that you're not affirming anymore that you used to. So I decided to get two of my friends. Um, who also have children uh, of different ages. Uh, Derek has kids and that are younger than my son. Uh, I think his kids are like one in five. And then my son is uh, uh, just about seven. And then Jason's kids range, you know, I don't remember the ages, but they're up into the teens. And so I wanted to get this range of kind of, ex- of experiences. And we talked about, um, but how did we actually swing this of, of being a parent while we're also deconstructing our faith? And, you know, deconstruction kind of feels like you're on a, on a, um, on quicksand or, you know, constantly shifting foundation all the time. And so what do we want to teach our kids about God or the Bible or what it means to be a Christian? And so it was a really great conversation. We just, we talked about, um, about discipline, I think we talked about uh, about what it means to be a Christian, uh, or what we think it means to be a Christian now after we've deconstructed from our fundamentalist beliefs. Um, we talked about uh, trauma and how to how to deal with uh, you know with behavioral issues now that we believe things differently about about um, about trauma and and so it was a really very eye opening episode about being a parent. And I wanted to kind of do it from the dad's standpoint, because we, we also, I think we hear a lot from the mother's standpoint, but, you know, being a dad is, is, um, is not an easy thing either. So, uh, so yeah, we have three dads and we're talking about being a parent while deconstructing and after deconstruction it was a great conversation. Wow, that's amazing. And uh, I think it's so important to hear all points of view, um, especially from the dad's point of view. Well, uh, I'm so glad to be here sitting with you too and uh to talk about uh this idea i had of talking to three or you know three of us all being fathers talking about deconstructing dads and what is what does deconstruction look like as as a dad um and you know how has it affected our parenting and uh just the fact that you know uh, being a dad is different from being a mother so i just kind of want to kind of take it from that point of view so um 
I have uh, one son who is uh, going on seven. He'll be seven in September. And um, uh, Derek, uh, I, I think I recall you saying your your two are what five and one. Is that right? Yeah, five and one and a half. Five and one and a half. Okay. And Jason, what about you? Uh, we've got an 18-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 10-year-old. All right. Ayo. So all <laughs> yes. steps, yeah. <laughs> Fun times. Great. In other words, I'm exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, my, my one keeps us busy. I don't... Yeah. I mean, I guess once they get to a certain age, they start taking care of themselves a little more, but not completely, right? But <laughs> Yeah, that's when the real anxiety kicks in, because they're driving. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, let's see. Some of the things I wanted to kind of talk about is, um, you know, I, I think all three of I, I know all three of us have, have um, been through quite a transition in our faith over the last several years. And um, so, you know, there at some point we kind of probably figured out that Hey, this this is changing how I'm a parent now, and um, so I want to kind of hear first of all from you guys, and I'll also chime in. Um, when when was it that you realized that this deconstruction and faith transition was was having an effect, and 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 how was it having an effect on how you were a father? Um, we'll start with you, Derek. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Actually, that's kind of what initiated my deconstruction. Um, was when I became a dad, at least from a, like a, a formal sense. I, um, I remember my son being probably a couple months old at most and starting to grapple with the idea of either I am more loving and merciful than God, or my view of God is completely warped. And I began to challenge these ideas around the convention of hell and eternal conscious torment. And that really sent me down that whole, um, you know, rabbit hole. Um, and it began kind of this process of me embracing these questions that I've had kind of that, you know, you file away in the back of your mind and you kind of, uh, gloss over. So really, in, in, in one way, it was becoming a dad that really initiated deconstruction for me. And I think that for many years, um, you know, I, I've resonated with the father heart of God, uh, you know, often uh, finding a lot of meaning behind, you know, that Aramaic term for God, Abba. And, um, you know, so so that that aspect of fatherhood and as I stepped into fatherhood myself, it really took a central role in my faith transition. And, um, you know, as I, as many of us can attest to, as we began to challenge the ideas of, of this very retributive sort of view of, of the father and, and needing uh, to sacrifice his son in order to forgive us and to rescue us from, you know, us paying the penalty of, of our own sin, you know, as we begin to challenge and turn those thoughts upside down, you can see that's probably not a very good view of parenting and fatherhood uh, mm -hmm. for me to think that I need to beat the hell out of my son so I can forgive someone who I, who's an illegitimate child or an, an adopted child or something, however you want to phrase it. So anyway, without getting too lost into that, that, I mean, it was, it was all those ideas swirling around at that time that 
I realized there's no way that I can be a better dad than God. Mm-hmm. And so that really is what kicked it off for me. Yeah. Now, what about you, Jason? So for me, it was very similar to what Derek just described. Um, when you start to get a bigger view of God, when you realize that God is not retributive, um, that the love of God is what sets us free, not the punishment, not the shame. Um, you know, when you, when you believe that the whole story started with people hiding from God in the garden in shame, and that has brought a curse on them that will last through all eternity and sends us all to hell in the end, then you can justify spanking your kid. You can justify sending them to their room away from you when you're disappointed in them. And you can justify a lot of painful things that honestly, in my opinion now, are traumatic for kids. Um, When I first started wrestling with this question, it's actually before I even knew what deconstruction was, when I read The Shack, um, the paperback, uh, just ripped me to shreds. And there's that scene, that Sophia scene, where um, Mac is standing with wisdom, right? The spirit, uh, uh, the one sitting on the throne, and he's asked to choose which of his kids to send to hell. And he, of course he can't do that. Right. And so, and, and so wisdom says, well, why would you think that, that our father would do that? If you being human wouldn't do that to your kid, why would God do that to his kids? And so that began, that was the thread that got pulled that just started unraveling uh, everything else. And uh, spanking was the first thing to go. Um, I just couldn't do it anymore. Just couldn't stomach it. And we had been, I mean, I was raised that way. And that, that there was some trauma for me to unpack from the fact that the people who I thought loved me the most were inflicting physical pain in my life. And I had to unpack that. And that helped me kind of untangle things with our own kids. And we, like I said, we were spanking them when they were little, but uh, that, that stopped years ago before I even knew what deconstruction was. It's the whole yeah. spare the rod, spoil the child thing, right? right. It's like that, right. that yeah. whole warping of what that even means. And again, that kind of speaks to the common evangelical biblical literalism that has, you know, twisted a lot of how one approaches uh, scripture. But, you know, that one would use that as a justification to take out, you know, uh, some form of physical frustration or, you know, call it punishment or correction. But I mean, I remember, you know, as a child too, Jason, you know, uh, my dad taking a belt, like a leather belt, just, Mm -hmm. you know, or my mom with a rubber spatula, like, you know, and she would often say, spare the rod, you know, spoil the child. And that was kind of like, you know, you just had to grit your teeth through it, but I'm with you. Yeah. We, we stopped, uh, you know, spanking, uh, you know, our first, and then, you know, haven't done that with, with our second as well. I mean, it just, you get to that point where it's like, how how can you reconcile love with any sort of, uh, you know, any hint of retributive punitive sort of view of correction, you know, and there's so much more that can be done just through talking things out and, and just, um, you know, getting eye to eye and, and understanding where they're coming from. Um, so yeah that that is is also similar to me and um and my wife and my deconstructions really started before luke came along and um and it it started with uh, my belief in hell and uh an eternal conscious torment 
Um, but then Luke was born um, like four years later after that kind of process started. Uh, but we still, um, or at least I um, still acted a lot like, um, you know, the way my parents raised me and, and, and you know, I would spank and I, I, I would, you know, I would pop him um, on the leg when he did something that was, you know, especially <laughs> aggravating. And, uh, but I still didn't quite understand, it didn't, it, it didn't really, really affect my parenting or I didn't realize it was affecting um what I was doing until um, maybe about three or four, when he was about three or four, uh, we would we would always read stories at night before bedtime. You know, uh, he would pick a book out of his shelf, or and then we would also read a chapter out of the um, the Jesus Storybook Bible from Sally Lloyd Jones. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, eventually, I started to having realizing I'm having to to censor some things here. I'm having to edit yeah. some things here. I'm having to leave Same. out parts or change things, and this is, um, you know, there's something going on here and um, something I'm not quite sure of yet, but, you know, especially the, um, I have actually have the book sitting right here, but um, now our son is adopted. And so we decided from the beginning that we would not even talk about the, um, the Abraham sacrificing Isaac story, Mm. because I just think that's, you know, that's just for any child, that's probably too much and uh, especially for an adopted child so absolutely we you know we decided that was not even gonna either it's not, we're not gonna talk about that at all and he's so far as uh, as i know has never even heard that story but then um the the crucifixion story is you know it's atrocious <laughs> in my opinion and you know it's it says um let's see here yeah, it says uh, after, you know, Jesus has been hanging on the cross, it says, Papa, Papa, where are you? Don't leave me. And for the first time and the last, when he spoke, nothing happened. Just a horrible, endless silence. God didn't answer. He turned away from his boy. And then it goes on um, later to say the full force of the storm of God's fierce anger at sin <sighs> was coming down on his own son instead of his people. It was the only way God could destroy sin and not destroy his children whose hearts were filled with sin. Gosh. And so those were the kinds of passages we just had to skip over. And eventually I just started thinking, why am I even bothering to read these stories if I'm I'm having to change them around so much? Um, We later bought um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu's child children's uh, book, storybook bible and it's better but you know it doesn't get into that um the wrath of god and um, anger coming down on jesus uh, but it has its issues as well mm-hmm. um so you know i i had a lot of um angst about what do i do about the bible with with my son i don't want to teach him these stories that i don't really even believe myself anymore and um pete ends had a great video about what do you do with the Bible with your children? And, mm. um, you know, when I think the, the gist of it was the Bible is not a children's book. So it's okay if you just don't even talk about those Old Testament stories, especially with your children. Model good, loving, compassionate behavior as a parent. Um, make sure that they know that God is with them every step of the way and loves them regardless. And 
you know, it's okay if you just don't even touch the Bible. Honestly, yeah, that's a great point. You know, it's there's almost this expectation. Um, I, it, you know, it, there's the, obviously the benefit of having scripture and and the tradition that we came from, and you know, sometimes it's easy to, um, at least for me, I'll speak for myself. It's easy to fall into kind of that cynical or maybe overly critical place. And, you know, I, I am grateful for a lot of aspects of learning scripture and, and being familiarized with a lot of it. But at the same time, I'm with you that we need to be, we need to give ourselves permission to put the Bible down and not feel like that's required in being, you know, um, loving and caring and nurturing fathers. And I think that, you know, especially fathers who want to give our sons autonomy and agency mm-hmm. or our children in general agency to um, ultimately make their own decisions when it comes to their spirituality, which I know even for me, just honestly, is a hard thing to, to let go of because I was so conditioned and so um, basically indoctrinated from, I mean, I remember praying the prayer when I was three or four, you know, it mm-hmm. was it was as young as I can remember having these memories. So um, I think it's a lot of conscious undoing um, that that I think is, is a process, right? Um, and I think one of the things that I hope to do, as especially as my sons get older, is make space for their questions and ask them what they think and what they what they uh, believe about the world and existence and themselves and God and whatever that means to them. And knowing that, you know, I, I don't have to, to always tell them. In fact, I probably don't have to tell them much. I can give them, you know, some of what I've, I believe and where I am. And I can also point them to as many resources as they'd like. So, yeah. Yeah. I think they learn better from just watching how we act and what we say and think, um, and I know that's that's how I learned from my parents. Yeah, I've always heard it said that more is caught than taught, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's it's kind of hard for me to admit this, but I, I feel like um, where I am now is that I want to I, I want to model you know what being a good Christ like person is to my son, and you know if he chooses to go. Um, in, in some other different direction that's, you know, not Christianity, um, then to me, it's, it's, it's okay. And I, as long as he is, um, he knows what being Christ-like is and, you know, that you, you can be a Christ-like person and not be a, you know, Christian per se. Um, mm-hmm. um, if, you know, if my, if my parents heard me say that, they would, they would be very <laughs> upset about that, you know, because they want to make sure that, that, my son is raised in the church and that he's goes through all that, um, that I did growing up. But, um, I think it's just more important for someone to be Christ-like than it is to be biblical and have all Mm. that biblical knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. I'm almost to the point now. I mean, this just call me down if I'm out of line here, Christopher, but, uh, I'm almost at the point now that the whole Christ-like thing even is just too much pressure to put on anybody. Oh yeah. I mean, just be who you are. Mm-hmm. Be who you were created to be. That's what I think Jesus nailed was he did exactly what he was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Now, if I could just be who I'm supposed to be, 
then I think, and if I can teach my son to be who he's supposed to be, or at least to seek that out for himself in some way, then I think I will be doing pretty well as a parent. Um, I don't have any good stories about raising my kids uh, for you that you're going to learn anything from. I'm an example of how not to do things way more than how to do things. But I heard a great story today. My daughter, uh, the oldest one, uh, she's 18. She just graduated high school. She's about to move out in a couple of weeks, getting her own apartment, starting at college. And um, she's uh, just grown so much. But she grew up, the first half of her life, her mom and I were purity culture. Mm. And we did not, I mean, we told them from a young age, you're not dating in high school. You're not going to have boys calling you. You're not, none of that. And we never were able, even though we went through deconstruction, we were never able to break free from that in a way that made any sense for the kids at all. And so our 10 year old has had us, you know, mostly at least deconstructed for most of his life. But the older kids got a different set of parents. Yeah. And so it's at some point you feel like it's just unfair to the older <laughs> kids. I feel sorry for them. But our oldest works at Target. She's got a great paying job. Her paycheck's pretty much equal mine at this point. Um, but she was working last night and she mentioned to a coworker that she really liked these shorts on the rack and was going to buy them as soon as she was able to. Well, a customer that she had never met said, what size would you need in those shorts? And our daughter, thinking that the uh, customer knew someone about her size, told her what size. And uh, the customer took the shorts, went to the cash register, paid for them, and brought them back and gave them to her. Wow. And our daughter was just blown away and said, no, 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 you can't do that. You're, you're the customer. I'm here to serve you. And um, the young man who was with them says, blame her, and pointed to the girl's mother. And the girl's mother said, I realized a long time ago that kindness is free. And so I try to teach my daughter when she has the impulse of kindness to follow that every chance wow. that she gets. That's great. And I'm like, that's parenting. That's, that's what it story. looks like to teach your children well. Yeah. And so that's the example we want to follow, not anything that I can come up with. Yeah. Honestly, that is so good. Wow. Uh, you know, and I even think about this, like there's... Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of things I've let go of, right. Of, of my upbringing within evangelicalism. But one thing that I think all of us could probably agree with, I keep coming, coming back to is just the simplicity that God is love. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's that, that line from, uh, one of, uh, the epistles, uh, of John first John, where he he's talking about, you know, whoever lives in love lives in God. And there's this active participation in the divine as we, as we operate in love. And so, you know, whatever that looks like and whether people are conscious of it or not, they're participating in the divine through their acts of love. Mm -hmm. And so how this applies to, to being a dad to me is how can I model and how can I encourage my sons to not only feel the most love that they can feel, but to go out and to be love wherever they are. I think that that would be probably my highest priority and something that I don't have figured out, but that's okay. We're all figuring this out along the way. But um, yeah. yeah, I, I definitely, I love that line about kindness and the impulse to, to show kindness. And I think that 
you know, being loved wherever we are is, is such a huge goal to model for our kids. Yeah, my son has definitely shown more love and compassion towards other people than I do. And, um, you know, he, he hasn't had that all that life to kind of get him calloused towards other people. And, and he wants to, you know, to give money and food to all the people that are on the side of the interstate, you know, the ramps. And of course it's you know, my money and not his money, but he still, you know, he's got that, <laughs> that giving and compassionate heart that, that says these people need something. So let's give it to them. And, and I'm, it's, it's so hard for me because I grew I, I went to college in, in a inner city Atlanta at, and and so I was constantly encountering homeless people asking for things and at first you know when you're a freshman or a sophomore you say sure yeah here here's something eventually I just kind of like I just if I keep giving this stuff I'm not gonna have anything left for myself and so I just got really callous and eventually I just said I'm not saying yes to anything anymore I'm saying no for the rest of the you know whoever says or ask for anything I'm gonna say no and I still feel that I'm that way. And, um, you know, I want, I want to change. And, and Luke has been such a good example for, for me. Um, but, you know, we're, I'm still, I'm still transi- uh, changing and, and transitioning to a new person. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a process for sure. I think yeah. that's interesting, too, because, you know, we often think that we're responsible to teach our kids something and we end up learning so Mm -hmm. much just Mm -hmm. from their innocence Mm -hmm. and this, you know, this playful curiosity that they have about life. And uh, I almost wonder if that's what Jesus is getting at when he says that, you know, the kingdom belongs to the little ones, right? And, you know, it's, it's just this, it's this crazy paradox about life. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I uh, I wonder if most of being a good parent isn't just being vulnerable with your kids, just being mm. willing to say, you know what, I screwed up, yep. yeah, um, and apologizing when you need to, just modeling those things because th- you know that's the behavior that we hope to see from them, right, in their relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, how different would our kids' marriages be if they saw us interacting in vulnerability with right. our? spouses or with our kids you know um we we've had to apologize a lot to our kids because we did not know what we were doing uh, not that we do now but we've yeah. realized a whole lot of what we were doing was wrong yeah and mm. we're all figuring this out together and I, I feel bad like i said i feel sorry for the older kids especially but they've been really gracious about it and um, I, i'm grateful for that because man uh, we we really screwed up Purity culture did a number on us. Mm. And oh, it's taken yes. decades to unravel. Yes. What did that look like uh, as your kids got older, you know, as they got into the dating age or, you know, puberty and all that stuff? Because I'm, I'm obviously not there yet with my boys, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I know that's going to come. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I said, we, we really screwed that whole thing up. I mean, we set down rules so early when they were like 11. You know, mm-hmm. when you get your phone, you're not going to talk to a member of the opposite sex. And that just set up, I mean, seriously, um, our oldest never, never dated anybody that we knew about. It really kind of made her, if she had any of that kind of stuff, it was taking place at school away from us and she was never going to discuss it with us. It really mm-hmm. put a wall between us because we taught them very young 
that uh, if they were going to participate in things like that, they needed to hide it from us. Mm-hmm. And again, that's our fault. I don't, I certainly don't blame anybody for that, but us. Uh, so we're hoping to, you know, we've got a 17 year old and a 16 year old. Uh, the 17 year old just got his first car. So we know it's coming and we're ready for it. I think we're, we're much more eager for them to experience those things in life now than we would have been before. But before it was all about, you know, this fear that, well, they're going to get pregnant or they're going to throw away their life or they're going to make these horrible decisions. And and now I, I just realize um, God doesn't control us because God is love. Mm-hmm. So if that's what love looks like, then maybe we shouldn't be controlling every aspect of our kids' lives. Maybe we shouldn't be controlling our spouses. Maybe we shouldn't be controlling anybody. Uh, you know, maybe we should just be trying to give into that impulse of kindness in our own hearts uh, and worry about that. Because honestly, that would keep me busy for the rest of my life. Just trying to follow that inner kindness, that love that you were talking about, Derek. Um, so maybe we don't need to be worried about putting restrictions on people and so worried about what's going to happen if they mess up. I mean, my goodness, I'm so grateful that God didn't control me when I went down the wrong path. I mean, I learned a lot of good stuff uh, down the wrong path. And, you know, the most important thing that I learned is even when I completely screw up and I completely blow it and I make horrible decisions, that the love of God was just as real for me in those moments as it ever was any other time. And if my kids can get that, then we all win. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I, I think... I, I personally experienced um, how just the unconditional love of another person or a group of people, um, you know, that that God's love flowing through them in unconditional love is transformational. And, um, you know, you can you can believe that God loves you all you want. And I and I I do. And, and you know, but for the longest time, it was just an intellectual uh, affirmation, you know. It didn't mean anything until I actually had people in my life who modeled that for me, unconditional love. And, and so that's what I want to model for my son. Um, you know, I, I tell him a lot that, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. I'm still going to love you. And, mm-hmm. um, and so when he does things that, you know, would probably normally have caused me to, to punish him or something, I have to now remember this is unconditional love. What I what I need to model is unconditional love. So, you know, I, I I tell him, you know, this is I love you. This is, you know, what maybe you know, maybe we talk about what could have been done differently, but it's still unconditional love and acceptance, and it's still uh, I still love him. So that's uh, what I try to model. So we've talked about um, you know some of the things. I think all three of us were you know talking about one thing we don't do with our kids anymore that maybe our, our parents did with us is spanking. And, um, so that's, um, something that, you know, definitely I'm not going to do anymore. Um, is there anything else that you, ha- you know, maybe your parents did a lot with you that you, you think is a no, no now? Wow. Um, <laughs> I could probably, uh, probably take a whole podcast to just talk about that one topic. (laughs) I mean, I'm in therapy right now talking about ways and the effects and, uh, you know, trauma I experienced because of, uh, the parenting that I received. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So 
And it wasn't that my parents were malicious. It, it wasn't that they didn't intend well. Um, and so I think that, you know, my therapist said something really profound as well the other day because I, I really struggle with the fear of, oh, I'm just going to mess up my kids and they're going to end up in therapy. And he said, you know what? That's a reality. We're all going to end up in therapy if we're doing something right. That's that's a good thing. And it's kind of, if you're expecting to just prevent your kids from any pain or messing up or whatever it may be, you know, you're you're not having a realistic expectation and you're not allowing for yourself to have... Um, grace for when you stumble and fall. Right. And Mm -hmm. so anyway, I I say all that because, um, you know, one of the things that I want to do is to have the buck stop here with a lot of what I received growing up. And a lot of it was just this, this pressure to perform this. And what I mean by that is on one hand from like, uh, my dad, I, I had a lot of pressure to succeed and, you know, be a straight A student, um, you know, be superstar athlete, you know, um, eventually grow up to be successful kind of thing. I wanted to walk in his footsteps. And then on the other side with my mom, it was like being the perfect Christian boy, never saying a bad word, reading the Bible every day, praying, you know, throughout the day. I mean, just like squeaky clean all around. And so is that like expectation of perfection that was unintentionally put on me mm-hmm. um, that I hope to not pass off to my sons because I see myself in ways being so hard on myself, right? Because we often judge ourselves by the same judgment that we've received. And I don't want to then in turn pass that along. And so my hope is as I learn to be gentle and kind and loving and gracious toward myself that um, you know, instead of taking the shame that I often struggle with and, and displacing that as judgment toward my kids to be able to have compassion for myself and therefore have compassion and patience for my kids as well. And, um, it's, it's like we have to reparent ourselves in a lot of ways in order to best parent our children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think it's a really interesting process of, again, being intentional, like Jason was saying earlier, of even being quick to apologize. I know I have to do that multiple times a day with, especially with uh, my five-year-old. But um, I think when they see us as human and just like them, we're not superhero mom and dad that can do no wrong, but that we actually can model a way of Hey, you know, this is what it looks like to to recognize that we're gonna mess up, we're gonna have hard days, we're gonna have hard moments. But yes, I love you and and I'm sorry. And I don't want this to divide us. I don't want you to have to be responsible for how daddy feels. Um, a lot of my upbringing, um, I experienced what's called enmeshment. And enmeshment is when the child becomes essentially responsible for the parent's emotion. Um, so if, if parent is feeling happy and this, you know, the kid's feeling sad, well, it's the kid's responsibility to be happy because the parent's happy. And, Mm -hmm. and 
you know, if, if, you know, daddy's feeling sad and, and son is feeling happy. Nope. You can't do that either. So enmeshment is really not knowing how to divide oneself and not really having those boundaries. So yeah, I just want my kids to be whole. I don't want them to take any responsibility for me. I'm, you know, and I had to even remind that to my son the other day. He was, he was saying sorry to me for, for something that was not his responsibility to take guilt upon himself for. Mm -hmm. And I just remember saying like, buddy, I never want you to feel like it's your job to take on daddy's emotions. Daddy's a big boy. And I want you to know that it, I never want you to feel that burden. And so I, that broke my heart because I saw myself in him. And I was just like, gosh, I don't want that to happen. So anyway, that was a long-winded way of me saying, I hope to not pass on my trauma. Yeah, that's uh, that's really powerful. Um, I think just, you know, for me, just the simple fact of being supportive of my son going to therapy and getting that help he needs um, was something I would never have been offered as a child, you know. There's a completely different, uh, I think, um, uh, environment, you know, in 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 the churches that that I'm, in, you know, have been a part of recently as related to therapy. You know, in, growing up in the evangelical church, there's there's no way you can be a Christian and have a therapist because that means you're you're failing as a Christian or you're failing as a person if you're going to a therapist. But now, you know, I think it's much more accepted and. Um, I don't know about even in evangelical churches, it's probably not accepted still, but, um, but I know that now, you know, we, both my wife and I have therapists, my son has a therapist and we're happy with that. We think it's uh, healthy. It's good. Um, and, and I want him, if he needs one for the rest of his life, then to be, you know, that that's fine. <laughs> you know, do it if you have to. Yeah. Normalizing therapy is so healthy. Um, we tried in a simple way to even explain to our oldest how, yeah, you know, mommy and daddy even go to see a, a doctor uh, mm -hmm. to help us how to, you know, communicate and talk to yeah. each other and, yeah. and love each other. And and so, you know, it's it's so important for us to, you know, we've said this many times to model that example of, hey, you know, taking care of ourselves and getting the help that we need is really important. And, um, you know, we've been given great resources in therapy and, and just the progress that's happened and with the advances in psychology that are so, so imperative for us to, to introduce our kids to early on, I think. So, yeah, we call it his, his feelings teacher. So he goes to see his feelings teacher. I love that. Once a week. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Jason? You have any anything else you wanted to add? Well, just that you were asking about, you know, what were we raised with that we try to get away from? Maybe uh, two things came to my mind: patriarchy. Yeah, mm. um, I was definitely raised in a the man is the head of the household, as Christ is the head of the church, and everybody submits. You, you, you've seen that toxic umbrella on oh, Facebook, yes. where oh, yes. there's Christ, and then the husband, then the wife, then the children. Uh, that was the household I was raised in. I mean, yeah. that was the a picture that suited our family. I was not allowed to watch television shows that featured strong female characters because that's not who our kid, our parents wanted us to be. Wow. Uh, they didn't want us to think that that was normal. They didn't want to normalize that for us. And the other thing was a cynicism. 
you know, there was a strong distrust of media, strong distrust of doctors, strong distrust of science and government. Mm, um, yeah. And just everybody's out to get you. And if there's one thing that I can do for my kids that would make me feel successful is if they did not grow up cynical. And I excused that for a long time. I, it absolutely worked its worst on me. And I grew up cynical. And I used to say, a cynic is just a passionate person who's tired of being disappointed. <laughs> and I had a, 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 co- a ministry coach. Uh, I said that to him one time and he called bullshit. I mean, he just like, no, that is wrong. You need <laughs> to stop saying that. You are justifying something that is toxic and it's killing you and it's going to poison everybody around you. And uh, he was right. And I was wrong. And so if if I can raise our kids in an atmosphere free from suspecting the worst of everyone around mm. them, then I think that would be real progress. Jason, that really makes me think of something, uh, you know, and that's really powerful is how can we as dads be vocal about seeing the best in our kids, even in their lowest moments, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's, I know for me, I'm, I can be a lot more vocal at times about ways that I'm being frustrated because my son hasn't listened to me after the fifth time of me asking him to do something or, you know, uh, our youngest is not going to sleep and, or he's not sleeping through the night or whatever it may be. And, um, you know, how can I, Recently, I had the thought, how can I create one meaningful moment with each of my boys, just one each day Mm. and, uh, you know, sharing a hearty laugh or, you know, asking an intentional question, um, disrupting kind of the monotony and the, 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 the ways where we get in those ruts. And I know for me, I can, I can get jaded. I can get really cynical too. And I can get in those places where I'm just tired and I, gosh, can you just listen, you know, and, and anger is just so much easier because it's that control factor. And I just want to have order and I want them to listen to me and dang it, I, I need to have power and I need to be in control. And I mean, it's, it's honestly so challenging for me to let go of that and to at times to just let them be boys. Sometimes I'm just way too hard on them. Cause that was what was modeled for me. Just too hard, not, not giving them freedom to just be themselves. And so anyway, I, I really do think that there's a lot of power in creating those moments where we can be very vocal about the, the good that we see. And, um, you know, cause I think our words have a lot of power to form and shape their experience and their view of themselves too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my wife and I, went through an app um it was called the healthy child i think or a healthy child um where it gave you a um, some parenting tips and and things on a daily basis to kind of give you a little reminder you know go through this this program listen to this video and read this about parenting and it was all based on research a lot of it was based on um uh, you know research by some uh, a researcher named John Gottman, who also does a lot of marriage research, yeah. um, but he's got a lot of stuff um, for parenting as well, uh, kind of out of that research. And, you know, it's one of the things that really stuck with me and it was, it was kind of, um, it helped me kind of release a little bit of the, the, um, uh, the stress over being, uh, being a good parent all the time. He said, he said, children who grow up healthy and whole, 
um, had parents who got it right about 30% of the time. And I <laughs> mm-hmm. thought, wow, that I could probably do that, you know? There's and, hope for us. Yes, yeah. <laughs> 30% of the time. Then, uh, yeah, okay. It's not hopeless then. That's so. awesome. I forgot about that too. I actually have heard that somewhere and oh man, what a, what a relief, right? It's like, yeah. gosh, okay. 30%. I think, yeah. I think we can aim for that. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not, go, we're not shooting for perfection here. Just 30%. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. And also, you know, you were talking about the, the therapist and the app and all that. I think that's all fantastic. And I'm going to download that app as soon as we get off this podcast. But, um, <laughs> Another thing that I just try to do is yeah, I've got Fred Rogers, a couple of Funko Pops of Mr. Rogers up on my shelf up there. Just as a reminder, you know, I can be who Mr. Rogers told me I was. Mm-hmm. I can I can be kind. I can look for the good in people. I can yeah. treat everybody like they're special. I can uh, draw out the good instead of the bad. And it, it actually reminds me of a verse from the Old Testament. If you'll seek the precious in that which the world has deemed to be worthless, then you will be my spokesman. That, that's a, a prophetic message from God, uh, as quoted in the Old Testament. If, if, you'll, if you'll go out and try to find that diamond in the rough, if you'll look for the good in your kids, if you'll look for the good in your partner, if you'll look for the good in the world around you, then you can be the voice of God into people's lives. Now, I don't know what to do with a whole lot of scripture, but that one resonates with me. Yeah. And if God is love, and those divine encounters that we have are when there's that, that exchange of love, when it flows through us or to us from someone else. Those are those moments that we remember feeling the presence of God. Um, then we can do more of that. We can be who, who, uh, who Mr. Rogers said we were, and we can look for the good in the people around us, in, including our own family. And obviously, when that starts at home, it has a much greater impact. I feel like it's time to pass the tithes and offering plates around (laughs) after that. (laughs) That was so good. No, really though. That was really good. Just, you know, being able to participate in those moments where it's like, how can we be present to each moment to allow for love to have its, its way out? You know, I feel like sometimes what gets me into trouble is I can get so anxious and that causes me to get worked up. And my response is then anger or frustration. And, but if I take a, a minute to slow down is when it allows for me to, to stay grounded and then to, instead of react to respond. And when we respond, we can, we can choose, we can choose love in those moments. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, that's participating in, in seeing our, our kids grown. Like, you know, I think of their, their hearts, even like, these precious seeds, right? You know, and the more that we, that we invest love into them, it's like pouring that water and then they're planted in soil and, and, and they're growing their roots deep and, you know, they're going to, they're going to continue to grow and grow and grow. But showing up in those moments, you know, are, are so, it's so important. But anyway, that was really good, Jason. Yeah. My therapist always reminds me that the, the greatest resource that, that our son has to maintain a regulated state in his, um, you know, emotional state is us, his parents. Mm -hmm. And so that means we have to maintain a regulated state and we have to, uh, you know, find things that help ourselves come out of a dysregulated, you know, crazy state back into that, that center regulated state. And that's not always easy, but, Mm. um, you know, I'm finding things that, that help to do that. Um, just simple, walk every morning 
puts me in a better headspace to start the day. And um, so <laughs> I always laugh when he says that, that, that I'm the, the greatest resource because <laughs> I just say, well, <laughs> it, that means, you know, Luke is in trouble. But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but I do I do my best and, you know, we 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 make do with, with the best we can. So, well, I think you brought up something important too, Chris, because, you know, I think a lot of even the messaging that we received growing up is that, Oh, put ourselves last and everybody before us. And it's this almost mm-hmm. like self-deprecating, right. uh, giving of ourselves to a, a point of absolute burnout. And that doesn't do anybody any good. So it's that whole oxygen mask on myself so that I can then take care of those around me. Right. And I've been struck by that again recently of just how can I create those those spaces for me to get recharged? Like you were saying, going on going on a walk in the morning or you know, maybe it's me listening to a podcast or taking a moment to pray or to meditate or whatever it may look like to just get grounded and centered. You know, even if you have to slip away for a moment, daddy needs a second here, buddy. Um, you know, can you play for a moment and boom, just kind of take a moment to breathe. You know, we have to do those things for ourselves because, you know, it's not selfish, right, for us to care for ourselves and to really prioritize our needs so that we can then best love our kids, our spouses, etc. Um, because I know for me, I'm the best dad I can be when I am loving myself the most. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 And for some of us, that means taking our medication. And, yes. and and we need to normalize that for our kids as well. Exactly. Um, early this year, I went through a health crisis. Actually, it was late last year. I went through a health crisis. I almost died. I, I thought that I was going to die. I sent a goodbye. My kids were asleep. I sent a goodbye text to them on my way to the hospital. Um, mm-hmm. I had a blood clot went through my heart, and I thought that, that was the end. Um, I ended up with PTSD just from the experience of going through that. And I remember when the doctor wrote me a prescription for anxiety medication, thinking, I don't want my kids to see me needing medication to handle my anxiety. And it was just like that, that little voice that speaks to me sometime in the back of my head said, maybe you're asking the wrong question. What do you want your kids to think when the doctor writes them a prescription? Yeah. And so the best way that I could serve my kids was to take the medication that my doctor said that I needed and be open about that so they understood it is not weakness to take medication. It's not weakness to go to a therapist. Sometimes that's what strength looks like when you're just not willing to give up. And we need to normalize that for our kids as well. Yes. So good. Yes. So what's um, what's the one thing that you want to make sure your kids know or that you want to teach them that you never learned from your parents? Well, I'll start. I think it's, you know, it's a, my first response is that um, God does not think that you are a piece of trash. Mm. You know, God loves you unconditionally. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I'm going to do my best to model that and to be that in your life as well. I will fail, but God will never fail. And, um, you know, if you do something that's, you know, the 
we would say is bad or the world would say is bad, that doesn't matter. God still loves you, and it's not. That doesn't mean that you've uh, lost His favor or lost our favor. Um, that's the one thing I want Him to know, and without a doubt, that God loves Him, and that there was never a point in His life where He where He was, you know, a piece of trash, and that uh, He needed to do something to gain favor. I think for me, it's just um, for my kids to know that there's absolutely nothing that they could do that would ever make me walk away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I grew up terrified that I was going to disappoint my dad to the point that he was going to walk away. I remember overhearing, I was 15 years old. We had gone on a trip to Brazil. My dad was working internationally at the time. Our first night there, my parents had this huge blow up fight. My dad ended up leaving us there saying that he had gotten married too early, wasn't ready for a family, didn't want to be married anymore, didn't want the responsibility of being tied down to kids. And I heard that whole thing playing out. My younger Mm -hmm. sister heard it as well. Now, dad rethought some things and came back pretty quick, just within a few days. But I was terrified, even before that conversation, that I was going to say or do something to so disappoint him that he didn't want anything to do with me. And the reality is that's what I believed about God. I mean, I literally remember praying the prayer, God, strike me dead 10 seconds before I do anything that would break your heart. Because that's who I believe that it was all about getting it right and and making God proud and making my dad proud. Uh, So much so that I I really thought that parents, uh, that kids existed to make their parents look good. Wow. Wow. And so... uh, we got to turn that upside down, right? We, we've got to help our kids see that we're here for them, that we're willing to listen. I mean, sometimes the best parenting I could do is just shut up. Quit mm. talking about what I think. Quit talking about my experience, uh, the way I did it when I was your age. <laughs> <laughs> and just say, I'm willing, I, I just want to hear. What do you think? And yeah. just let them think. Let them think out loud. Yeah. I really resonate with that too, Jason. Um, you know, I, I grew up just with this longing just to make my dad proud. And I felt like I, I just couldn't do it. You know, um, he was this, everything that I wanted to be, you know, I think that's normal for a son to aspire to be just like dad. Right. And, um, I think the one thing that I want to pass on to my boys and the one thing that I want them to know is that they will always be enough just as they are. And they never need to change anything about themselves to make me love them more. I think that I struggled believing that, that I had to do so much in order to make sure my parents were were proud of me or pleased with me or you know again just like jason was talking about i i tacked that onto god as well mm-hmm. that my life became this juggling act of performances and different masks i was putting on i want my sons to be themselves fully without any reservation knowing that i will always accept them and always love them and I will never, ever change my mind of how deeply I love each and every one of them. And, and I just, I, I don't, 
yeah, I don't want them to ever question that. No matter if they're having, you know, the hardest day. Um, if I happen to be having a hard day or hard week or whatever it may be, I, I, I want that to be a constant that they can go back to and always know in their heart of hearts how I feel about them. Um, and, and how, how, of course, my wife too, and, and, you know, how our, how they end up growing up with that sense of confidence and in themselves, right? Because if they feel the confidence from our love toward them, they in turn will then feel that confidence in themselves. And I think I grew up lacking so much self-confidence and so much just stability and security in, in myself because I didn't really know who I was because I was so busy trying to be everything else but me in order to make everyone else happy. So yeah, I just want my boys to grow into the fullest form of themselves and to know that I will love and cheer them on each and every step of the way. Yeah, that's great. You know, I, I think, um, I think people generally mimic or, or kind of, you know, become like the God that they worship. And, you know, if you worship a very angry God, then you, you feel like you have an excuse to be that way as well. Um, or a God that likes to exclude people or you're that you're going to be that way as well. Um, and I know in my own life, when I transitioned to it, to believing in a, lo a loving God, um, you know, that, um, and I shed all those beliefs about the wrath and, and, and hell and punishment, I changed, you know, I changed into a different person. Um, and so I want to model that to my son and I want to teach him about the best version of God that I know right then, you know, right at the, at the moment. And, and as, as that changes, I want to tell him about new things that I've learned, you know, new great things that I've learned about God, um, uh, so that it continues to just get better and better. Um, because it has gotten better and better for me over the last several years and, and I don't expect it to stop. So do you think, um, deconstruction makes parenting any easier or does it make it harder? Maybe the answer is yes. Yes. Yeah. I was just going to say both. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Somehow a little bit of both, right? You know, I think there's something just in general, I mean, growing up in a very, you know, evangelicalism promises certainty, mm -hmm. you know, we're given this framework of binary thinking, right and wrong, black and white it's just it's it's a lot easier to mm -hmm. think in that way and yeah, to teach a bunch teach of other, facts you know right and yeah. so it's a lot harder when not only you, you're dealing with uncertainty and you're making peace with that but you're then i guess just continuing in that space and giving more room to freedom and uncertainty and questioning and uh, you know, not participating in any form of dogmatism. So you're, you're just keeping things open and there's not a lot of framework for that naturally. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a challenge in and of itself. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, uh, deconstruction absolutely has, has made parenting harder just because I have to think about it more. Um, I was so conditioned that if you just do the right things it, again, 
everything that screwed me up, I learned in Sunday school. Um, (laughs) I had just been conditioned that if I'd read the Bible and I'd pray and I'd take my kids to church, everything would work out okay. And life was a lot simpler when I actually believed that. The problem is it doesn't work. And it's, it's a form of spiritual bypass. Mm-hmm. And so we are just looking for an easy way, push this button, this button, this button, get perfect children. And it's too much pressure for the kids. It's too much pressure for us. Um, but the one thing that deconstruction has done is it's taken the pressure off. I can believe a quote like what you said uh, earlier, Christopher, uh, that if that whole well-rounded kids have parents that get it right 30% of the time. And I can say 30% is a number I can work with. I mean, I'm going to fall short of that some of the time, but I can work with that number. Um, And so it takes the pressure off. I don't have to pretend to be perfect. I don't have to pretend I have it all together. And my kids shouldn't feel the need to do that either. And so obviously that should uh, be an atmosphere for relationships to grow and flourish. But man, that traumatic baggage that we grew up with sure has a way of rearing its ugly head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I also want to make sure that my son sees that it's okay to change your mind about mm-hmm. things that, that related to your faith, and um, you know, and I want to be able to go back to him and say, you know, what I taught you last year about whatever you know topic X, Y, or Z, I don't really believe that anymore, and this is what I believe now, and this is kind of why I've changed my mind, and you know, it may it may change again next year, but you know, I, I want to teach him. Hold these beliefs with an open hand, and Ooh, that's so you know, good. don't just grab onto it and say, "This is it. I've figured it out." And because um, I, I I believed that I had figured it out 15 years ago. Well, now I've changed my mind. So obviously, there is a, you know, it's possible to change even from where I am now. Uh, so, so you're normalizing spiritual evolution for your kids. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. It. Exactly. I love it. Um, yeah, we, we had a neat example of this yesterday at our house. Um, our 10-year-old was cleaning out his room. We've just moved recently, and we're still unpacking, and there's just way too much crap around here. And so we're encouraging folks to get rid of things. And <laughs> the first thing he wanted to get rid of, Christopher, was his Jesus Storybook Bible. Okay. And, <laughs> and uh, I saw that. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I gave him that having never looked at it. Mm-hmm. I, I took a recommendation of somebody that I trusted that it was good, that it was different. Of course, this recommendation was 15 years ago when I had some different beliefs about God, but I gave it to him at a very young age and uh, he's had it ever since. Uh, he wanted to get rid of it and it kind of it hurt a little bit because, you know, it was one of those special things that I'd given. But he's evolving. He's changing. He didn't want to hold on to that anymore. He was ready to cut it loose. Our oldest, who was registering for college uh, yesterday, um, uh, said that she's going to start taking Sundays off so she can go to church. And okay. so we've got both ends of that spectrum, right? <laughs> and and uh, me and their mom are right in the middle. We, we don't go to church, but we haven't thrown out our Bibles. Yeah. And so it's really cool that we've got one kid going this direction and one kid going this direction, yeah. but they're free. Yeah. And mm. they can make those decisions for themselves. That's yeah. beautiful. And so I think that's what uh, winning looks like. Well, that's great. Well, uh, any parting thoughts um, before we sign off? This was a lot of fun. Um, I, yeah. Every time I hear either one of you, um, and Christopher, you and I get a chance to talk more often than Derek and I get a chance to talk. But I mean, seriously, Derek, dude, yeah, I love your heart. 
And I love your heart. I, I, the way you talk about your wife is always with love and respect. The way you talk about your kids is always with love and respect. Yes. And I just, every time I talk to you, I just leave thinking, man, I wish I could be more like that guy. And it's not just because you're so cool and you have a huge fan base on social media. Uh, (laughs) It's your heart. And uh, that comes through in your music too. So if anybody's listening and they haven't heard Derek's music, they need to check that out. Yeah. Oh man, you're making me tear up over here. I swear. I was really kind. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. Seriously. I was really very much, very much. I agree with all of that. And, and so, you know, to our listeners, if you want to follow more of what Derek is doing, go check out, uh, your favorite heretics on Instagram. Um, they're just uh, tearing it up over there. Mm-hmm. And then also for Jason, if you want to follow along with him, um, he's got the, the Messy Conversations Facebook group and the Messy Spirituality podcast, um, which, you know, that was the first uh, kind of foray into um, deconstruction podcasts that I had experienced. And uh, so, you know, so, you know, we were talking about earlier that we can blame anything on you. So I will blame it all on you, Jason. Uh, yeah, messed me up good. But uh, I will be happy to share in the credit for that, Christopher. I think you're an awesome yeah. human being. 